to kind of bring us up to speed, you know, because I know, you know, some of us were here last week or maybe we're unfamiliar with the book of Ruth. Uh, it's one that kind of gets lost in the shuffle. It's in the Old Testament. Some of you, you just avoid the Old Testament altogether. Um, but as a church, we went through verse by verse the book of Judges. And uh, I think oftentimes as you go through the book of Judges, uh, you go, wow, did anybody love God? Like, because it just gets worse and worse. The judges get worse and worse. And, and we even read, right? The book of Judges, it says, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes, <laughs> which is evil. And, and so that's going on. That's the setting. But then there's this book of Ruth right after it. And Ruth helps, at least for me, redeem the book of Judges. Because what the book of Ruth, uh, uh, when it takes place, is during that time period before Israel has has their own king, uh, but they're out of exile. They're in this promised land. And, and so it's this interesting time, and there's a lot of people that are continuing to fall away from the Lord. But then the book of Ruth, which takes place in the midst of this, were brought into the story of this family. And, and it doesn't kick off on a very positive note. We're introduced to this family, uh, a guy named Elimelech and his wife Naomi, and they were in Bethlehem, and they moved to Moab, uh, a foreign uh, people group, and they go in there, uh, into this area, and uh, tragedy strikes. Now, there's been a famine all over, but uh, Naomi loses her husband. Elimelech passes away. So, so Naomi's there and, and she moved there with her grown sons who are married as well. They're there in this foreign land and her husband passes away. She's grieving. She's mourning that. And then also both of her sons pass away. And it's just, it's just like this cycle of just grieving that takes place. And, and so Naomi is just distraught. She's discouraged and, 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 and they're looking for food. And so they hear that Bethlehem, there's, there's food, things are growing. And so they, so she decides that she's going to go back there. And so she pulls in her daughter-in-laws and she just kind of lays it out there for them. She's just like, I have nothing, nothing to offer you. There's no hope. There's no future here. Go back to your families. Go back to your people. And one of the daughter-in-laws does that. But then there's another one named Ruth and she refuses. And she tells Naomi some words that are really, really powerful. I'm not going to leave you. Your people are going to become my people and your God is going to be my God. And all of a sudden we're confronted with this young woman and her incredible faithfulness, her loyalty. And, and, and oftentimes, you know, when it's a story, uh, I just kind of move through the story and I don't like pause and really think about what that meant, right? Because, um, I, you know, I, I think sometimes we read our Bibles to achieve or to finish and we don't like put ourselves in the setting and, and truly understand, but do we realize that this young woman, like uh, who was married, had this, this life, this picture, this dream, uh, this story. Uh, because I, I remember when I got married and, and I just started like uh, picturing all these things, right? These moments that were to come and this life that we were going to have. And I'm sure my wife would say, it's all been like that. Probably not. But, 
But we do that, right? And we have these hopes and we have these dreams and these desires and they're gone for her. Like they're gone. And and, and then her mother-in-law says, you know, go back to your family, go back to your people, go back to what was normal for you and, and all of that. And, and, and you guys, I think that probably most of us would go home, right? I think most of us would, would go back to our families. We go, you know what? Yeah, I need to go back to where my parents are, my siblings, that, my own people, uh, you know, my own form of worship that I'm connected with, that I'm used to. And, and yet you guys, she does what many would never do. She goes against what's safety. She goes against, I'm sure what her family's telling her, hey, you should do. It's going against what maybe reason would say, but ultimately she chooses to be faithful to her mother-in-law and to place herself under the Lord. And to give herself to him. Incredible. And so we're brought into who this Ruth, uh, this character is. And, and, and so we ended last week where uh, Naomi, the mother, and then Ruth, the daughter-in-law, they head back to Bethlehem. And so they're heading back there as, as widows. It's been 10 years since Naomi's been back home in Bethlehem. And so we pick up in chapter two, verse one, and it says this. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Okay, so the author here, the writer introduces us to a relative of Naomi's. The the relative's uh, name is Boaz. And what we read about him is he's a worthy man. He's honorable. Uh, He's wealthy. Uh, He comes from Elimelech's side, Elimelech's family, which was Naomi's husband. Uh, We don't know specifically what relation uh, to Elimelech Boaz had, um, but we're introduced to who he is. Uh, next, we, we see that Ruth, uh, they're back home in Bethlehem and they're like, man, we need to eat. We need to figure out how we're going to survive. And so Ruth asks Naomi's permission to glean in the fields so that they could have food to eat. And so what she was going to do is she's going to glean uh, behind the harvesters as the workers dropped portion of grain while gathering the produce. Um, the, the Mosaic law actually dictated that they were to leave a portion of the harvest for the needy to glean. 
It's really cool. You actually see in Deuteronomy 24 and Leviticus 29, you see that in the Mosaic law, you see that God established uh, one, a, a, a way for those that found themselves in need, those who were poor, those who were widowed, uh, those who were a foreigner, uh, a sojourner in this land. He created a way for them to have their means met which just demonstrates once again, like that's in the Old Testament. Yes, God is unchanging and he continues to demonstrate. He sees you, uh, the people that are struggling, the people that are unfortunate, the people that are in need, he sees them and he literally within the law created a way to make sure that they were fed. So, so they were these, as they were harvesting, they would drop things and they were to leave them there as they continued to go along so that those who were in need could gather that so that their provisions uh, were taken care of. Um, and, and we see the heart of God in, in Deuteronomy 10, 18, this is what it says. It says, he executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. So you just see in the Old Testament, the heart of God, even in the Mosaic law there. Now, since Ruth now has taken on her, her faith in, in God and she's placed her faith and her hope and trust in him, uh, because that's in the law, she, she goes, hey, um, I should be able to go and glean into the field. So, so can I go uh, help us survive? Guys, this is an act of faith for her. This is foreign territory. Like the fields weren't marked, right? That, uh, with, with whose name was on it. Like, uh, she was going to go out there as a stranger, not knowing who owned, uh, which, uh, fields. And, and then she's an outsider in this environment. So she's vulnerable. Uh, this is the time, remember, uh, of the book of Judges where people were doing whatever they wanted, which is, absolutely horrific, how they treated each other, what was done, all of these things. So morality is out the window. So there's concern over her physical safety. And yet by faith, she's like, no, I need to, I need to go do something here so that we can survive. And so by the providence of God, Ruth just happens to be gleaning in Boaz's field. says that she just happened to come to this portion of the field. But was that an accident? No. See, her steps were guided by the Lord. You guys, when, when, you, um, when, you give, when you give your life to Jesus, it's all right, God, I'm going all in. There's two things that happen. And sometimes they kind of feel conflicting. One is incredible blessing. There's incredible blessing that comes out of that. But two is an incredible mystery. Amen? It's, it's, it's like these two things that, that you're entering into and, and you go, God, I, man, I believe what you say and, and, and I see how you love me and, and the promises that are there. So God, I'm moving forward. But we also know that the whole faith component is I don't fully know what you're going to do, but I trust you. I believe you for it. And even when I don't even know what the it is, 
right? And so, and so that's the, that's the difficulty here. But you guys were reminded, even as we see that, uh, you know, the author says, yeah, in her mind, it was random. And yet in God's eyes, uh, this is him guiding her, guiding her steps. And this is a reminder to you and to me that God is constantly at work with us. He's constantly at work with you. Uh, in Mark 16, 20, Jesus has just ascended uh, from his disciples. And it says this in Mark 16, 20, it says, and they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. So, so the word, the Lord was working with them. In other words, yes, they were out there. Jesus has ascended, but they were never alone, were they? He was with them. The other thing that we see is he's constantly at work in us. Okay, uh, Philippians 2, uh, 13. For it is God who works, what? In you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Right, so God is with me, but then also I have this promise that God is working inside of me, which is fantastic because I know that there's a lot of things inside of me that need work. There's a lot of thoughts there's a lot of temptations, uh, there's history, there's past, there's trust issues, there's trauma, there's all these things that I need him to work inside here. So he promises to do that. And then lastly, in Romans 8, 28, well, he's promised that what? Uh, it, it says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And so what do we see here? He's also at work for us. He's at work on your behalf. He's accomplishing his purposes with your life, with you, in you, and for you. And yet, are we even acknowledging it? Or are we, are we the ones that, that, you know, like, it hasn't happened? I mean, think about it. Ruth had every excuse. I don't know what my, our excuses are, but she's got some solid ones to hold her back, to distrust God, to say, no, your plan isn't good, actually. Look at my situation. Uh, well, well, God, look where I'm at now. God, I'm all alone. I'm with my mother-in-law. We don't know how good that relationship was in the first place. And I'm alone. And we're starving. Some of us would say, those are signs from God that you made a wrong decision. And yet God is at work and just happens to lead her to this field that belongs to Boaz. And so then we're introduced that Boaz shows up. He greets his workers and then this young woman catches his eye. And once again, we go, God, only you can do that. She's just there randomly and he just happens to go check on his field at the same time. I mean, for those of you that are skeptics, it's like, you're like, your dice is getting thinner for you. Like, good luck with that. Like, okay, maybe one thing. But then God's like, no, watch this. And it's just a reminder once again that you guys, uh, so many times we say this has to be an accident. And God says, no, that's an appointment. So after Boaz finds out, he asks about Ruth after he finds out how she ended up into his uh, field, he then approaches her. This is what he says in verse eight. It says, then Boaz said to Ruth, 
Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. So, so Boaz, he approaches Ruth and, 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 and he, and he calls her this, this term. He says, he says, my daughter, right? And, and, and she's younger than him, but, but it's also a term of endearment. And he tells her, I want, I want you to stay in my field. Like, like you don't need to go wandering around to other fields to try to get the food uh, that you need. I want you to stay here. And, and I'm going to tell these, these young guys to leave you alone, uh, to not bother you uh, in any way, and hang with the other ladies that are working the field because they're going to know. They're going to know where to glean, where not to glean, all those things. So hang with them. And, and, and I want to take care of you. If you're thirsty, there's water right over there. It's already provided. And she is blown away that, that this guy would treat her, this foreigner that has nothing to offer, and uh, that he would treat her with such kindness. So she asks what any of us would ask if someone did the same for us. She asks, why? Why are you, why are you doing this for me? Like, I have nothing. Why? And he tells her why. You know, one of the things about a small town is word travels fast, doesn't it? For better or for worse. And word has already gotten around town who she is. She's got a reputation already. She's got a testimony already that Boaz has already heard about. Boaz says, no, 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 I know who you are. I've heard about you. I've heard what you've been through. I've heard the decision that you had to make. And I, I can't believe it. And, and, and you're here, and, and, and I love it. He's just like, he's, he's declaring this blessing over her, isn't he? He's like, the Lord bless you, and, and twofold, and, 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 and bless you for, for, for how you've just placed yourself under the wings of the Lord, under his protection. And the, the imagery there that we see throughout scripture is this mother bird with, with their wings out, protecting her little ones. And it's imagery that even David alluded to in the Psalms, right? In Psalm 63, 7, when he said, for you have been my help and in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy, David says. And so Boaz is saying, uh, I, I, I am marveling at, at, at who you are and what you've been through and the path that you have chosen to embrace God, our God, as your God. And so I'm amazed at you. You need to be blessed by the Lord for this. And little does he know, maybe he does, but he's about to be the answer to that. 
You guys, I'll tell you one thing. And, I, and, and you'll hear me say this often. Don't disconnect yourself from your requests with God. Don't disconnect the fact that what you're praying for, God may actually be calling you to be the blessing. Right? Uh, you know, God, I pray for them. I pray that you would reach them in some way. And God's like, you're going to reach them. God, I pray that you would speak to my neighbor. God, my neighbor terrifies me. And he's like, eh, you, okay? Uh, God, I, I pray for this situation here. Lord, I need you to help. Uh, Lord, our, I, God, I pray that you see those people or see that person and their story. God, work in their life, encourage them. And he's like, right? He continues to challenge us in that. And oftentimes what I found is the things that are heavy on my heart are oftentimes invitations that he's saying, Steve, I want you to do something. And so we see that, that, that God is working in and through her, her testimony. You guys, she has a reputation that is, that is established because of how she's lived her life for the Lord. You guys, you cannot disregard the reputation that you have earned or are establishing when it comes to your faith. And I think sometimes we completely disconnect our faith in a church setting from who we are outside of a church setting. And what we see here is her reputation has preceded her. It's gone out, it's out of her control. And yet it points only to this incredible woman's love for the Lord and how she abandoned what she had known. She abandoned her home. She abandoned her gods, all of those things so that she could place her faith in Jehovah. So that she could become part of the people of Israel in Bethlehem that she could take refuge under the Lord's wings. And so Boaz blesses Ruth in light of her commitment and dependence on the Lord. And then in verse 14, it says, and at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned and it was about an epath of barley and she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. Okay, so, so Boaz here, he's already gone beyond like the letter of the law when it comes to like generosity and taking care of those in need. But now he then invites Ruth to eat. And this is public. This isn't like a private, you know, like date night thing. No, this is, everybody's there. He's like, hey, I want you to eat with us. It's a statement that he's making here. And so she eats with them and then she's got all these leftovers, right? And so she's like, yeah, you know our situation. Give me the doggy bag, right? Like we need that, box it up. And, and, and then she's able to work some more. And Boaz, once again, he's like, listen, all of you, you protect her, you take care of her and, and then you drop some extra, okay? Right? Now I think Boaz at this point is like, mm-hmm. but still he's like, Drop some extra for her. And, 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 and so anyway, she is literally overwhelmed 
with, with all the amounts that she's able to glean, three-fifths of a bushel, which most of us are like, what's that? Um, it's like 22 liters, and that's enough food for, for both her and Naomi for up to 10 days. And, and so it's an incredible day, like for her. And so she comes home, and it's like, how's Naomi going to respond? So in verse 19, it says this, and her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, besides, he said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with this, with these young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Now, what's so interesting here is the last time we met Naomi, she was sharing her bitterness with the women of Bethlehem. Just how bitter she was, blaming God for her sorrow, her poverty. That was the last scene with Naomi. And, and, I think for a lot of us, we're like, yeah, I mean, that kind of makes sense that she'd be in that place. So how does she respond when Ruth shows up? After she said, yeah, go ahead, go figure out some way to get food. We hear a new word coming out of Naomi's lips. And the word is blessed. Blessed. She has moved from bitterness the blessedness. See, when Naomi saw the grain, she blessed the man, right? Whoever did this, bless them for, for doing this incredible work, for allowing you to work in their field for their generosity. And then when she hears that the man was Boaz, Naomi blessed the Lord. And what you see is just this incredible change of heart, isn't it? You know, it's first just overwhelmed with like the generosity of somebody. Like, oh my goodness, like, I can't believe this. Where did you go? Like, what happened? And, and she tells her this story and, 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 you know, and you just see like all of a sudden the, the, the bitterness and, and that just start to, to subside. And then God speaks in a way to where it's undeniably God as she goes, well, whose field is it? And she says, it's Boaz. And now Naomi goes, blessed is God because Boaz is one who can redeem us. He's a kinsman redeemer. He, he by right of being a family, he is one in a unique position to where he can save us out of our poverty. He can, he can bring redemption to, to your life, Ruth. This is all. So Naomi is just processing this in such a way that she goes, only God could cause all of that to come together. 
and, and, and that he would take care of us, that, that then he would cause Boaz to, to take interest into Ruth because, I mean, Ruth is sharing, this is what he said to me, this is what he did, and Naomi is overwhelmed, not with how special Ruth is, but she's overwhelmed with the Lord. And so in this incredible situation, we see how God uses the testimony of Ruth to reach her mother-in-law who is stuck in this rut of just bitterness and despair. And, and, and so we see that, that literally because of this change uh, that's taking place in her heart, she now has a renewed hope. A renewed hope. There's hope again. Why? Because, because Boaz was called this, he was a kinsman, right? He was, he was related, and, and according to the law that we read in Leviticus 29, a, a near kinsman uh, family member had the ability to rescue their relatives out of poverty, even had the right and the ability to purchase back property uh, that they had used as, as leverage to try to get them to Moab. He could buy that back for them, regain their uh, inheritance, and and, and, it, and it wasn't just the hope that he would be able to financially get them on the right path. Uh, but we also uh, know that, that Naomi uh, sees something else at play here. Something else is involved. The law of the leveret marriage. Now, some of us are like, what in the world? The word lever is Latin for a husband's brother. And the writer of Ruth is combining for us the role of the kinsman redeemer with the law of leveret marriage in which a widow without a male heir would wed her husband's brother in order to produce an heir to the family. Now, um, I think we immediately go to like polygamy and all these things, right? We're like, oh, there's the Old Testament again. But that's not how, <laughs> that's not the design, right? So if, if, if there is, if there is a brother, uh, who, who is able to, who's, who's not married and, and, and is able to see, uh, that need there, uh, they are able to marry the widowed, uh, wife of their brother who's passed away to help, uh, carry on the name and, and the land and all of that. The inheritance would move Forward. And so uh, there is this role that was, that was unique. Not everybody could play that role of this redeemer. And because of his relation, we don't know specifically uh, what his relationship was, but he was connected to the family in a way to where that law applied to him, to where he could be the redeemer and be Ruth's husband. And, and so Naomi knows this. She knows that this is complete redemption here, maybe. So she tells Ruth, she's like, let me explain to you what kinsman redeemer is. You're from a different place. And, and then she says, stay in that field. Stay there, be, be protected. And our needs are going to be met. And so Ruth continued to gather food. So the harvest was done for her mother-in-law. And I think that as we, as we look at this, you guys, and we look at this story, you guys, if you're a Christian, 
you're someone who has said, man, I've placed my faith and my hope in Jesus and him alone for my salvation. When we talk about hope, that's biblical hope. It is not this shallow, I hope so, feelings, optimistic fantasy. I think sometimes we just go, well, I, you know, we use that word so often, right? It's kind of like love. We, we just use it, right? Like, well, I hope that works out. I, I hope so. You guys, when it comes to biblical hope, that's not what it's talking about. It's completely different. It is not this shallow, I hope so feeling that I generate. Hope, biblically speaking, uh, is an inner sense of joyful assurance and confidence as we trust God's promises as we face the future with his help. That's what hope is. And so, and so this is a hope that if I'm a Jesus follower, if, I, if I've gone all in with the Lord, that means that this is a hope that I should be walking daily with. Um, and and here's, here's how, right? You're like, well, man, my story's rough. It's tough. It's been, I've been disappointed. I've been discouraged. I've been let down. I got caught up in this addiction, this story. I'm divorced. You don't know this about me. All that. I don't. I don't know all your stories. But, but I know that none of those things negate the eternal hope that can be yours through a relationship with Jesus. And I also know this, that if I'm not living with hope, I am ignoring the Holy Spirit in my life. Because what is the Holy Spirit continually doing in your life? He's reminding you of the promises of God. Right? So, so if I'm just like, oh. God, I'm done. I am literally actively ignoring the Holy Spirit who is inside of me communicating to me what God has promised, which continually moves us where? To hope, right? I mean, Romans 15, 13 says, may the God of hope Fill you with all joy and peace in what? In believing. You have to believe it, right? So that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. And Romans 5, 5 tells us, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So, so there it is. And so there is this exciting new hope in this story that we're seeing with the, that these two widows are experiencing. And, and just as for them, uh, a lot of it is centered around Boaz, this, this figure. Uh, for, for us, our hope today is centered around one figure, and his name is Jesus Christ. Right? I mean, 1 Timothy 1.1, 1, 1, it tells us, Paul's like, our hope is Jesus. <laughs> that is our hope. And so through faith in Jesus and him alone, we've been born again into this living hope, scripture tells us. And because it's a living hope, it's alive and it's growing and it should be growing stronger and it should be producing fruit in my life. Because it's alive, right? First um, Peter 1.3, it tells us, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. My hope is alive because Jesus is alive. 
My hope is not defeated because Jesus was never defeated. Right? And that's why when, when all of us get into this, into our own minds and we start worshiping these other things, which is essentially me placing my, placing my hope in this, my hope in that, my hope in that, uh, wherever that may be, that's why that's always a dead hope. It's dead. It's got no life. Guys, this turn of events marks the point where Naomi's human emptiness begins to be refilled by the Lord. And so God used Ruth to turn Naomi's bitterness into gratitude, her unbelief into faith, and her despair into hope. You guys, never, ever underestimate the power of one, of one person. One person placing their faith and hope and trust in the Lord can change a whole situation. It can change a family. It can change a work environment. It can change a team. It can change a church from defeat to victory. Guys, Ruth's faith, it, it, it led her to the field of Boaz. Guys, what is God telling us? As we, as we close our time together, he's telling us that he's sovereignly in control of your life. He's in control. It tells us that, that, that if, if you're seeking him, you're pursuing him, that he's orchestrating appointments, not accidents, behind the scenes for you in your life, with you, in you, and for you, And he's reminding us over and over again, you're not alone. You're not alone. I don't care how alone you feel today, you guys, you're not. You're not. Those two widows had to feel really alone. They weren't. And God's like, pay attention. Look at this story buried in the Old Testament. And let it reawaken your hope. Let it pull you up off the mat and remind you that your, your, your hope needs to be alive. That your faith, that your hope, and your trust in Jesus. You guys, it is a living, eternal hope that if you've made a decision to receive Jesus with, that you have. And, and I guess my question is, have you made that decision? Have, have you made that hope public? Is that what's known? Is that the story uh, that people share about you by how you uh, live? And you guys, that's what I love when we talk about baptism. We're going to do it in a minute here. Um, baptism, you, you know, I always tell people, I make the joke, like, we don't like take them down in the water and leave them in the water, right? I mean, that'd be sick and twisted, right? And no, we bring them out. Why? To a newness of life, right? That old life is dead. They're in the water. That's all those other hopes. But they come out of the water to a newness of life, an eternal life, a living hope through the resurrection of Christ. That's the picture of someone coming out of the water is the resurrection. And that's why we take someone out of the water. And and that's why we celebrate that, you guys. Uh, It's a newness of life. And so many of you have had that. But I just, I got to ask, are you hopeful? Because I mean, so many Christians now, and it just seems like we're not hopeful anymore. And I read that story and I go, what is our issue? And ultimately it's an issue. If I'm not hopeful, it means I'm ignoring the very mouthpiece of God, the Holy Spirit, who's reminding me of the promises of God. Have you stopped listening? Because he's telling you something. And it's so much better than what you're telling yourself, amen? 
Guys, let's just pray. Let's go to the Lord and let's just ask him to work.